0: Welcome to the Starfish and the Church podcast. Starfish leaders are committed to unlocking the collective strength, intelligence, and impact of every leader and every team and their influence. Starfish leaders see family trees, not org charts. And let's admit it, the weight of top-down, disempowering, highly centralized leadership is crushing the church, burning out leaders, and increasing the cynicism of those outside the faith. We hope our book, The Starfish and the Spirit, And this podcast will help inspire and equip you and others to rediscover a form of leadership that unleashes joy and flourishing, builds community, lightens the load, equips everyone, and unlocks the multiplication of disciples, leaders, and fresh forms of church. Hey, welcome to the next episode of the Starfish and the Church podcast. We're here to explore what it means for the church to rediscover her identity as a movement, as a decentralized network of multiplying disciples and missional teams and microchurches and networks and hubs made up of apostolic equippers. And today we get the joy and the blast of having a conversation with our, our good friend, Peyton Jones, who is the Batman of <laughs> planting. <And> the reason <laughs> he, I bring that up is he, he literally is in a house construction project That is on the scale of Bruce Wayne. And and there is actually a secret passageway.
1: They're really, it's the truth. We just saw it. We literally literally just
0: saw it. Peyton, you have to explain. The back cave and the passageway.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I have a nerd closet. It's where I keep it. You know, this will be all. Is, respectable that's got to be a big
1: closet. That's got to be a big closet if it's a nerd closet. Because it, I know a, how nerdy you are on all this superhero stuff.
2: Oh, man. I'm a total nerd. And uh, you name it, man. A, so you a, a have to like au- a,
1: give us an auditory explanation
2: of yeah. uh, of your, your secret passageway. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's something. A- let me preface it by saying there's a line from a U2 song where Bono <laughs> says, you know, I'm still a child, but nobody tells me no. And that that is including my wife. She let me have this from my last book contract. You know, you get that advance and I always give that to the family. But I said, hey, can I buy a secret uh, Murphy door? So that, that <laughs> my whole office was built around this. I sacrificed floor space so I could just have this little closet in here and then put you know, the, uh, the, the secret nerd door. So you open this bookcase up and then it'll be like, you know, the, the, the commissioner, you know, we could pretend, you know, thrown the church planning signal in the sky and I must run. There is no fire pole there though. Although it used to be a fireman. There will be no fire pole in my firehouse. I'm sure
1: that's coming next book advance. You bet. Yeah. We got to get a
0: fire pole big time. Yeah. Big time. Well, Hey, we're looking forward to talking about, uh, your latest book in a moment, but Lance, uh, hey, listen, I know both Peyton and I have been praying for you and your family, and you guys had a real scare this week. Um, Why don't you kind of unpack that story Mm. for uh, the starfish community?
1: Yeah, you know, the thing is, is in uh, all three of us, uh, we have older children now. And, you know, I was under uh, this crazy delusion when I was a young dad that, you know, you get your kids raised and you kind of, you know, you get them raised and they're out of the house and you don't worry about them anymore. (laughs) Boy, we know that's not true. Uh, the fact is, is that you probably are more concerned about them as they get older because the stakes are higher and, uh, you know, they may fall off a bicycle and chip a tooth, but, uh, you know, then they're, they're, they're in there with big toys when they're older. So this past Saturday, just a couple, uh, it's been two days ago. Um, because we're recording on a Monday, um, I was actually out at my little writer's cabin, sitting on the front porch Saturday afternoon, throwing the ball for my dogs and just, you know, just enjoying the day. And I literally uh, heard myself praying for our oldest daughter, who we had just recently moved, helped her move to Austin. We had just a week ago helped her move to Austin and it just came home a few days before that. And uh, I heard myself praying for her and praying for her safety and praying for her protection. And then my mind started catching up with what I with my mouth and then I just kind of jumped on and felt, you know, yeah, you need to be praying for her. And uh, I wasn't alarmed or anything, but uh, it but I was kind of puzzled, you know, it's like, wow, I just that was strange. And I went back to throwing the ball for the dogs. And about 35 minutes, I would say later, uh, my phone rang and it was Caitlin. And uh, her first words of her mouth was, hey, dad, uh, first of all, I'm all right, which I was really glad she had the presence of mind to say that and not uh, freak me out. So she said, first of all, I'm all right, but I'm in an ambulance. And uh, then she then her voice started cracking and she started crying. And she said, uh, I just uh, uh, I, I just rolled my car three times on a freeway here in Austin. Wow. And uh, she said, but I'm all right. And, uh, of course, you know, I mean, all the blood went to my feet and you know how that goes, but, uh, praise the Lord. I mean, it's, it's absolutely amazing. I'm in Austin now, my wife and I, within 15 minutes, we were in my truck heading West, uh, for the 12 hour drive to Austin to be here with her. And, um, she, she, she literally walked away from it with a scrape on her arm. And I think that happened from the airbag. I'm pretty sure it was the airbag, one of the airbags and um you know her next sore and um, now we got to help her find a car and all that kind of stuff but we're just so thankful to the lord to to have her alive much less incredibly you know healthy and um but it's just a you know it's it's the power of the of the holy spirit you know and just the power of god you know i to to just to be there in, in the moment and, you know, as it was happening, uh, you know, maybe even seconds before it was happening, I mm-hmm. don't know, but it is an incredible deal, you know, but we're just thankful and so many friends and everybody, man. I mean, my Facebook blew up as soon as I mentioned anything about it. So appreciate you mentioning it, Rob and, and Peyton and Fool went on the air. Both you guys were one of the first things you were asking about was that. So
2: the oh, glory yeah. to God,
1: you know, pray That's for incredible. your kids and listen yeah. to the Holy Spirit. Yes. You know, be, pay attention to the prompting the Holy ghost, man.
0: Amen. You know, one of the things we say all the time in the underground, like prayer is the strategy mm. and it, it begins with, it begins with extraordinary prayer and fasting and that's yes. going undercurrent, you know, and
1: yeah.
0: So glad Caitlin's okay, man. So I appreciate
1: glad. it, brother. Appreciate it. So yeah, Peyton, he's we're, good.
0: We're thrilled you're here today, man. We're looking forward to talking about your new book, church plantology. And, uh, it, you know, I was amazed to get that in the mail. I was glad to be on the list to get an early copy and uh it's actually <laughs> a beautiful book. And it is. And it's so thorough, man. I as I'm still not all the way through it, but my impression already is this is the best book I've read on on church planting and I think it's going to become a, a classic
1: it is going to be a classic and, and right there rob before you go on as you were saying it is a beautiful book it really it is, is just, i mean you know what i wanted to do the first thing i wanted to do i wanted to go out and get a a, a brown lunch bag and cut it up and wrap my book in it do you guys remember back in the day right.
2: when you would <laughs> wrap your
1: book you know with you your, trapper your, <laughs> you with your trapper keeper with your pc exactly. folder exactly in your own book cover you know and and then your members only jacket and go to school you know I was like this is like a textbook man yeah and it, it, it looks and then you know talking to Peyton he's like that's what I wanted well man yeah. you got him to nail it bro 400
0: 464 <laughs> pages and just wanted you to know our book is uh, 151 pages shorter we were offended yeah. And we yes. have a new edition coming out. We added 152 pages, so we're one page longer finish. than you know. Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa! It's on.
1: It is, but it is. It's it's physically heavy, but man, it's spiritually and metaphorically good heavy though too. It it's it's going to be a classic. We know it's been a
0: journey. Like a, our book is kind of the culmination of, kind of both for Lance and I. And Alan, of course, is sort of this obsession, the call of Christ, along long obedience in the same direction, you know, being captivated by the forgotten ways and the starfish and the spider so many years ago. And I could tell as I moved into this book, it's a similar book. It's the outcome of decades of formation. So we just wanted to ask you, kind of tell us the story, the journey behind mm. this book. Cause it is, it's an opus. Well, I appreciate
2: that. You know, it's funny because at the time where I was editing um, the book, you know, I I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I, you know, like I was over it. I was done. And, um, you know, I I actually they made me chop half of it off. So it was longer. I will tell you, it it was double (laughs) the book. And uh, I submitted eight hundred pages and they said Oh my no. goodness. Uh, no. Oh my
1: goodness.
2: They said no. No nobody cares what you have to say about church planning that much.
1: Yeah. I mean at that point you gotta name it rather than church plantology. <laughs> it's church
2: planting dogmatics. I told them volume church plantology 201, two oh one, second book deal, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, volume uh, one, volume two. But but I do wanna tell you guys that um, at the time that you guys submitted your book, I had the honor of being um, the director. Uh, the content director at Exponential, and that book came across, and I felt equally impressed. I was so excited, number one, about what your guys' book was doing with the starfish, you know, the whole metaphor, the the continuation, um, you know, Ovi Brothman and you know, the whole mm. continu, but the way it was starfish in spirit, the title resonated with me, and then to end up actually getting a chance to read it, I may have been one of the very first people to, oh, wow. to read it out there in the in the big wide world, and uh, and I just I don't remember how long I was in. I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely a yes, you know, because the the it, when it came across the desk, it was, will this be part of the Expo series? And I got to make that decision, so I'm a little proud of that. That's awesome, but uh, I'm sure yeah. it would have been, you know, even if someone else had well, been there. I'm thankful for it. But i was I, I was impressed man that that book to me they go so well together you know it's kind of like green eggs and ham right like mm. you put them together you <laughs> can even a fox you know uh, with a fox <laughs> in, in a box but i loved uh in fact so much of it i wished that uh you guys your book had come out way before mine because when i wrote mine i would have popped so much of that in uh, there you know cool. and it would have made my book richer wow.
1: that's so, very honorable you that's say not buttering that, you up brother. that is
2: I literally like it. it just there's so much uh synergy between the two
1: well yeah let's let's get into that man
0: let's uh you know your book is addressing um the, the there's multiple models of planting your book is a call to return to a biblical model based on the new testament in particular paul and his work with his gang, you know, Titus and Timothy and others who were down in the trenches with him. And uh, so in particular, I'm curious about if you had to describe sort of the, what is the leadership ethos or philosophy that, um, like readers who haven't read the book yet, um, traditional church planting um, is typically, it's, it's, it's built around um, typically one person. Um, They'll form a team, uh, but the team is usually, it's like support roles for the gifts of kind of a primary communicator and visionary and so forth. Um, How is church plantology distinctive from that in terms of its
2: leadership culture? Well, this is probably, you nailed maybe one of the, the biggest distinctions of this book is that when when i say our tribe right like there you know we would all kind of you know we would think by vocational decentralized team leadership a past discipleship focus you know we would we would all kind of be of the same ilk but mm-hmm. there hasn't really been a church planning book for us for mm-hmm. our tribe in fact what, what what you'll find yourself doing a lot is reading church planning books and there are some great ones like Global Church Planning by Otten Wilson is, is dynamite. There are some good ones out there. I'm not trying to say that there's not. I apologize about the building work in the background. Well,
1: the, the bat cave is is still being expanded, folks. <laughs> it's, in a the background, pri- so. it's a top priority. Man. I mean, they on.
2: only just Listen. got rid of the bats yesterday. Well, so, I mean, and here's now the they're deal. Drilling in look, there.
1: the safety of citizens is weighing in a balance. So sure. let it go. Let's not it's, be selfish there. And I Alfred's appreciate work is it. Work never done, man. Alfred's work. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's right. Alfred's
2: no, that's back right. No, that's right. Like that's right. Master
1: carpenter. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh, but you know it, it, it's the kind of thing where I really felt like there there needed to be a team planting book, and that is so much the key, right? Like Alan Hirsch's work on Apest, and you know the work of so many others on on missional advancement of the kingdom. Um, you know, kind of the the Reformation of the church. One one of the things that I lay out there is it's weird how all of the the people that we quote, um, Roland Allen, Nubigen, uh, Jim Peterson, so many of these were missionaries, including Allen, who's a missionary. You know, people people yeah. forget that that he is an, a, a cross cultural overseas missionary. And what what you do when you get back from the mission field is you you begin to come back to the church, and you can't switch that mission button off. And so you you end up becoming a church reformer. And I think that this book really set out to reform how mm. we think about planting, to reform how we approach church planting. Um, you know, it, it puts a heavy emphasis on what brad uh briscoe would call co-vocational that's what i was for years you know and uh so i know i'm i'm i'm, I'm answering this question not with brevity but um but i think the key is that that team church planning model that paul had in the first century if we could harness that we would be hardwired for multiplication mm-hmm. and i really want to see that happen so I, i'll just you know kind of be the cynic so yeah yeah i'm that's what i'm doing
0: i'm uh Man, we're I'm launching with a team. We've got somebody on children's ministry. We got someone else on first impressions. We've got. I think we're going to launch with a worship leader and a student leader. Like, yes, we are on board. We got we've got a
2: team. What, is that what you mean? If not, make some distinctions. <laughs> no, no, it's not what I mean. I mean, you I, were you know, so
1: worked. coy. You were so coy, Rob. <laughs> you know,
2: I we're we're looking at things like the apostolic, the evangelistic, the the prophetic leader, the shepherd, the teacher, you know, uh and and that's just your leadership. But that's in, you know, like Alan Hirsch points out, that's in every believer. I think the leadership functions are to equip the average believer. I think that's what Underground has so right. And what you know we found out there you know we we didn't use the term microchurch but we had them we called them cogs and we said mm-hmm. it takes a bunch of cogs to turn the big wheel and the big wheel was the gathering of all these these cogs that were missional communities we didn't even have that word back then we just knew that hey over here these these college students they're they're killing it they're they're discipling and leading people to christ but they play xbox every other week and people come and funnel in and they they you know just end up sharing the gospel and all these different things. There was a film club over here and there was a, we were entering the rhythms of the community and these things were happening. Um, We had accidentally planted out of a Starbucks doing Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code. And when I Mm. really got into church planning, I'd already been broken in traditional ministry. I'd been broken on the wheel of it and Mm. didn't want to be a leader anymore. And that kind of really, when I ended up church planning, that really changed everything because it suddenly brought me into a place where um, not only did I not want to be a leader, I wanted to give everything away because mm-hmm. I was already broken. I didn't want to be there for a church plant. And a church plant was starting. And what what I define in the book in the opening chapter is what most people like like the the cynic the you know, the the uh, the the church planner that you posed at. Um uh, that would be church starting. And that's where you start with the church. It's like putting the cart before the horse. You start with the church itself. And your whole thing is like, you're trying to get this church off the ground like like an airplane, you know? Um, you're trying to, to get enough people gathered. You're trying to raise enough funds. You're trying to get, you know, critical mass once you launch, you know, to keep it airborne and get a full paycheck. And none of that stuff ever mattered to me, right? For me, it was, no, I, I work with my hands like Paul did. I would, you know, enter the rhythms of the community. I would share the gospel. I would disciple people. And if that happened, a church would be born. So church planning is what the apostles did. Church starting is what we do today, where we get a flashy website, a sexy logo. You know, we we do a bunch of advertising. And then once we launch, if, if we can make this thing stick, then we call that church planning. And I, I just don't see that as church planning. I think that's the apostles and Jesus knew nothing about that. One of the challenges mm. that I'll give people is every time Jesus got a crowd, he sent them packing. He did, it just wasn't his thing. You know, he gets five thousand people, and goes, "Hey, all right, crowd, try this out: eat my flesh and drink my blood." And they went, eat "Gross!" <laughs> and he knew exactly what he was doing. And he was like, and then he looks at the disciples, are "You guys gonna stick around or are you gonna go too?" Like Jesus was not every time he saw a crowd in Jerusalem. Right? The triumphal entry. He he everybody like Bono says again. Sorry to quote you two twice on this podcast, but he goes, you know, he talks about the Last Supper. He goes, you know, we we ate the food, we drank the wine, everybody having a good time except for you. And that's a song Judas is singing to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He says, You were talking about the end of the world. Well, here the triumphal entry, people were ripping off palm branches, throwing their jackets in the street. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. They're ready for the Messiah, but they're not. And mm-hmm. so Jesus, you know, you look over, cut scene to Jesus, and he's weeping, right? Mm-hmm. He's the bummer, right? And the, the disciples must have been, like, oh, no, he's going to do it again. And sure enough, you know, he starts prophesying, woe unto you, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you've you've stoned all the prophets. like. And then he just tells them, like, he starts pronouncing, like, if only you had known the day of your visitation. His, his heart's broken. But, like, Jesus... Crowds didn't mean much to him. If the name of the game in most church starting today is, is starting a crowd, that's where we're going wrong. Gathering a crowd, that's it's nothing like what they did in the New Testament. Hmm. You know, I'll, um, I was just going to
0: say one of the things that I so resonate with, the way we describe what you're um, unpacking in the Kansas City Underground is we say we, we plant missionaries who plant... Themselves among an the unreached pocket of people, they plant the gospel and make disciples. So it's like plant a missionary, plant the gospel, make disciples, and then the phrase we use is a church emerges. And I, I'd like to suggest that you change your book to "church emerge allergy <laughs> Okay, do we Second, that's the second, second, second one.
2: The other, the other half of the book.
1: <laughs> no, I love that you're no, defining church planting, though. I really do yeah. celebrate that. And oh. and I love that language too. As soon as I was, when I started to read the book, it's that section right there early on. As soon as you started defining the difference in church starting and church planting, because there's been a lot of deconstruction over the last few years where we've talked about people are just planting worship services rather than planting churches, yada, yada, yada. I just thought that language and then your deep explanation on it and unpacking of that was was really well. It was more than just critique. It was, um, it was very helpful, you know, because it put language to why this has happened and why it's wrong. And it's just not going to get us, we're just going to get more of the same um, as we continue to do that. So, you know, the thing is, is now, Uh, you know, the three of us, we've seen the cycle that went from 50 years of, of church growth industry to now we've got a good 25 years of leadership industrial complex or leadership industry within the church. And probably over the last 15 or 20 years, I know I've been part, I guess we've all pretty much been part of exponential for 15, 16 years. Um, uh. Church planting has really become quite an industry. I remember when I started to plant a church 25 years ago, the first church I planted, I had nothing, man. All I had was Bob Logan's church planters toolkit on 12 cassette tapes. And I would sit around with my Sony Walkman on my mower and mow my one and a half acres and listen to try to figure out how to plant a church. That's all you had back then. Yeah. You know, so now
2: we well, got... Bob, you, you got an acre and a half today. You better do your stuff.
1: That's right. That's right. You know, and so now, you know, I mean, now we've got, you know, boot camps, we've got conferences, we've got all this kind of stuff. Um, but for the last few years, a lot of it has been a lot of the content has been what you call church starting at Peyton, so it's like we kind of got our work cut out for us to reinvent church planting now right i mean it's got to catch up with all this missional disciple making decentralized language but it seems to me like and i think that covid is has, has even helped to propel that that's the upside to it um I'm hearing a lot, of, a lot of guys and gals talking in the positive about these changes that have to be made, but still they're needing hooks. They're needing yes. language for it. They're needing pathways for it. And I think that's what your book does, Peyton. I think that's what uh, Rob and I's book, uh, The Starfish and the, and the Spirit, mm-hmm. are doing. And um, so I'm hopeful, but there's a lot of work to be done mm-hmm. uh, as far as reforming our thinking. Yeah, Peyton, I'm,
0: I'm sitting here thinking to myself, Um, you know, if I'm a church planter listening to this, if I'm um a pastor of a church that's been really committed to traditional church planting, um if if they were to be sitting in this little room with us and they were to ask you, all right, Peyton, I I get what you're saying. I've I've seen um the dark side of what you're talking about. Um, a lot of times what I the analogy I use is church starting is like trying to deadlift 300 pounds. It's like <laughs>
2: you know, right?
0: So how, how do we shift it to um, doing like the little reps to like build up to authentic church planning? Like if they were asking like, okay, so where does it start? Like, how do I reframe? We have this other system in place. How do we begin to launch this new, which is really an ancient form of church planting?
2: Yeah, it's it's really funny because um, I think when when you look at Paul, even you know, like he made mistakes. There's there's room. Sorry about the train now, right? Drilling and the train. You, you got some <laughs> stiff competition today, but uh, <laughs> of course it's gonna it's gonna go it's when the, I'm
1: answering. Hey, it's the penguin. <laughs> man. It's Hold on, the I I mute the, it. mute it. It's the penguin trains. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: is. It's either the Penguin or the Riddler. they trying to ruin this
1: podcast. <laughs> On the
2: That's other podcast, I do. We always do the uh, yeah. It was Gotham Central right there. The, uh, I think the oh, scarecrow was back at it, but oh, it's great. Yeah. So, um I I think the the first thing is to there's a couple things that i i would say that that right away is and it begins with our thinking right we we all believe that right thinking will lead to right living so if our if our 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 practice is going to match you know how we think about stuff you know so the first thing i always tell planners is don't just plant a church right plant plant a network of churches because right away you're thinking multiplication and that means it it takes it away from you, like you know, like mm-hmm. e- even with me, like I'm a serial planner. I'll plant and then I'll move on and I'll raise up leadership, kind of like Paul did. Um, and I mentioned in the book how Paul does that his first two missionary journeys, in his thirty switches it up. He becomes the sender. He mm-hmm. sends them out into the seven churches of Asia. There's two two of those we know. Epaphras uh, planted outside of Ephesus, and so all of a sudden we see like you know, Paul is strategic at the height of his game. He's thinking I'm planting a network, right? And I, I talk about Paul's learning curve. Then in the first, he does it with just him, Barnabas and John Mark. There's not really much of a team. That team breaks up anyways, but there's not a there's not an intentionality. On a second missionary journey, that's when he goes team big time. That's where the part Paul starts discovering, well, I knew there were prophets and teachers, but I'm apostolic and Holy cow! We're meant to, you know. He starts building these teams. I think that's where the the teams of of elders come from as well. And here's the thing: that lest we get too leadership centric here, multiplication cures that right away. So so the point the point is is that if I'm going to be multiplying churches, I've got to be treating everybody in front of me like a leader, and that's what I started doing in my last church plant. The big every time you plant a church, the church gives you more than you gave it. You come away with some major breakthrough. The Holy Spirit goes, and I'm going to teach you on the next one too, stuff you didn't know. So I apologize at the beginning of the book. Hey, I'm not done planning yet. So I'm not done knowing. And even when I'm done, I, I won't have exhausted all there is to learn. Mm-hmm. But in my last church plant, I learned that everybody, like like literally everybody's a leader. And my my theory is, um, leaders are just people that have been discipled really well, amen. Right, and, and so everybody like, and I think Jesus modeled that with the twelve, where he pours into twelve people that were other than maybe Andrew and maybe John, the rest of them were ministerial yeah. rejects. Nobody yeah. ever thought they should be in leadership. But now I think you bring something on... up
1: huge there, uh, Peyton. I love I love that your definition of, of leadership because over the last several years, leadership has been uh, has been d- defined. As somebody that's worthy to follow, you know, uh, so many leadership lessons, follow them and people will follow you. Um, when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, he's not saying, follow me, he's saying imitate me. It's it's really poor translation. It's, it's, this caught on. So you're talking about leadership as being worthy to be imitated.
2: Really? Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and that I, I love, I love that you brought that up to it because yes. And I, I actually raised that quite a bit with, with Paul, that every epistle, that's what he says. And then he tells Timothy, just raise up people that are, that are doing Christianity. Well, like that's what elite, they're just being normal Christians, but they're, they've been discipled well, and they're going to be able to disciple yeah. others. So every time someone would get saved. In, in the church plant, we saw some radical conversions in Refuge Long Beach. This was like a urban downtown. I mean, some pretty radical stuff. We had a guy from MS-13. I just saw a picture of him today. He had his arm chopped off by MS-13 for screwing up. That was his own gang chopped his arm off, right? Like we had Whoa. some radical dudes. We had a guy 38 years, America's most wanted. Um, had spent 38 years in prison. In the 80s, he was like, you know, publicly to me, number two. And uh, he was part of the church. And, uh, but but we had some hardcore dudes that God saved. But I learned like every single one of these guys, even even to the point where we talk about microchurches, but homeless people come into faith. And I'm a psych nurse, so I I I can work well with people when they're when they're schizophrenic or or you know, whatever it is. But I also I've got a little bit of street smarts from being a psych nurse years ago. Worked with a lot of homeless people. You never believe the first story ever that you hear, right? There's always other stories that the, the real story will come out, second, third, fourth telling. And but but we had people legitimately where we would work with local businesses to get them jobs, working a forklift, you know, driving a forklift and stepping up. And so we did we did some of that stuff. But with with one of our guys, he said, Oh, I want to. I want to lead a cog, which is like a micro church to homeless people, and my living room was in this park. So uh, there was a there was a homeless micro church or cog that was running, and I just learned it didn't matter who you were. We were going to pour into you the second you were saved. It was like we are just going to disciple the mm. crap out of you because I want you to lead. Yes. So and and once I I made that connection, it 100% changed me. 100% changed everyone around me, 100% change that church. And uh, there were so many different stages and layers to that. But I think you guys would agree with that, right? That That's yeah, all leader totally. leader is. Yeah. You're, you. Know? I mean, basically what you're sure. saying is leadership is
0: the fruit of disciple making. Absolutely. And, and when we have a definition of leadership, that's absent of disciple making, and it's focusing on skills or specific capacities, like uh, I'm a leader because I can lead worship or I can you know, do these niche roles and there isn't deep transformation in the character of Christ. There isn't a real deep sense that they've been activated in their calling as a missionary. Then our leadership pipeline isn't really a leadership pipeline. And I loved how much energy you dedicated to disciple making um, as kind of the core essential task so let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Um, what do you see is sort of like, if you're going to have a culture of multiplying disciples and disciple makers, you know, what, what are the core ingredients?
2: Yeah. So thanks for asking that. Cause you know, I mean, there's a lot of books on discipleship and disciple making, and I have never, I, you know, here's my theory. My theory is we tend to disciple the way we are discipled and hence if, if you weren't discipled, you probably don't disciple because unless somebody's taught you, because uh, you'll hear a sermon and the pastor will say, hey, we got a disciple. And everybody goes, yes, I totally get that. I heard it in the Great Commission. But then they draw a blank on how. right? And so for me... Uh, I, I literally disciple the way I was discipled. I take people through First John. That's how I was discipled. Well, what's First John saying? Why do you think you and 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 I use First John because that's you know how to know you know him kind of thing. And it's probably not the best discipleship book, you know, to 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 go through, but it works. I, yeah, I do it. But there's there's three components that I see Jesus doing. That's what I kind of spell out. Paul and Jesus both um, that there's time. There's teaching and there's tactics, the three T's. That's the only time I alliterate, right, ever. I'm I'm not a big alliterator, but time, teaching and tactics. So Jesus for three years, he spends three years day in, day out with these guys. He's sharing his life. He's kind of like Paul, you know, my manner of life when I was, there was more than just a teaching on a Sunday. Paul was sharing his life, imitate us, Um, kind of like Lance brought out. But Jesus says it's 24 seven, they're sitting around the campfire, they're doing all this stuff. And then there's teaching. He teaches them. But the third, and and so if you look at like the movement, like the missional movement was really good on the time aspect. You know, we're going to do life on life, life together, barbecues, yada, yada. And then the evangelical movement has the teaching component. We're going to teach, we're going to be word-based, we're going to do this and that. But but where the discipleship to me really thrives is when we're on mission. Um, so if mm-hmm. you, if you I, I went back to when I was a youth pastor, and I would have these kids... <laughs> I would tell them as you, you know, read your Bible, pray, you know, uh, share your faith, um, go to church, do all that stuff. you tell them all those things, you know, you tell them when, when back in the, you know, you do the four tracks and that we, none of us want to admit that we did the four spiritual laws tracks or anything like that, but you would lead people to Christ back in the day and you tell them what you were told and, you know, you got to do these things now. But I would tell them, you got to do these things in and then listen. And then I would take them on mission, you know, and, and, you know, people can crap all over, you know, short-term mission trips, all they want, but it unlocked something in totally. everything yes. I took overseas. Yeah. They came back different. Now I didn't have to tell them to read their Bible. They knew why. Now I didn't have to tell them to pray. They knew why. Now I didn't have to tell them to wow. go. They knew why. Like it it was that missing component. And I think with discipleship, that tactics, Jesus taking them out and saying, you give them something to eat. For three years, what I try to, to have people understand now is that they were on mission for three years? So he did those other two time and teaching, but in the context of tactical training, he had them on mission for three years. And you can't adequately make a disciple unless you've put them on mission together with you. Amen.
0: Yeah, it's we you know for most um, people the context for mission has become you know a classroom. Maybe in a church building or a hour and a half meeting once a week as a small group where we consume content, and uh, that's that's not the way Jesus did it. Like if people haven't identified their primary place of sentence, that might be where they live, work, learn, play, a mm-hmm. certain unreached pocket of people, and um, and like Alan says, you have to act your way actually into that new way of thinking, like the mm-hmm. teaching. Never really becomes transformational if there isn't the opportunity in the context of mission to experiment and fail and learn what it is to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and respond. And
1: uh, I, I love that simple framework. Um, yeah, I think that that, that that whole issue of mission, and I think that that's one of the biggest missing components that we have in, in church planting, well, probably in just church period. Is letting that mission be your organizing factor, the organizing principle, and then letting church, letting forms of church come out of that. You know, uh, I think Alan says uh, mission is the mother of adaptive ecclesiology. And so, uh, you know, that's a huge principle that you bring up there, Peyton. And, and, and even just hearing you speak right now, uh, just want to, as we wrap up, say to the listeners, one of the unique aspects about Church Plantology, Peyton's new book, is it is an excellent uh, scholarly piece of history on mm-hmm. church planting. Outstanding. And it's, it's one of the best. Uh, that w- uh, Other than trying to gather 30, 40 books and trying to figure it out yourself, man, you just sit here and just read what Peyton's written, and it's like, man, this is really good scholarship, Peyton. And you just don't find that. And and you're not even saying that it's necessarily prescriptive in everything. Um, As far as for today, that, I mean, some of it's descriptive, but a lot of it is, well, but we need to learn from it. Right. And some of it is prescriptive. Uh, Not that you try to point out which is and which isn't, but uh, I just love the scholarly piece of the history of church planting, the way you you just laid it out there. It's one of the best I've ever seen. I appreciate that. I'm going to, I'm going to pile on that because I
0: feel like um, Viola's book, the untold story of the new Testament mm-hmm. and, and your book, that's a good one are phenomenal in terms of helping people really understand here's the chronology of what's happening. And yeah. most people don't ever pick that up when they're reading the new Testament and we miss so much. And your book does such an amazing job of like yes. phases of Paul's ministry and what he's learning in each cycle. And, Thank you. I mean, that's yeah, a, no, I appreciate you it. you find yourself
1: as you're reading that and then you're going back through reading acts and I'm like, yeah, well, well yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I mean, I found myself doing that a lot as I was reading the book. So uh, I think it's important and very vital um, that our church planters, you know, get this in their hearts and their heads. So it's just, I, it's I appreciate it.
2: There's um, there's two things I'd want to say, and I know we're running out of time here. But um, one was uh, I wish you know not only do I wish I had your you know the the starfish and the spirit, but also I wish I had started working with this organization, Bible League International. They they develop discipleship tools for people all over the world in in their indigenous language, and I've been working with them a little bit on church planning stuff. And th- this just you know for especially for this podcast would be encouraging because one of the things that they they said was they said we we found ourselves in the church planning game we didn't mean to be we were all about discipleship tools but they said but as soon as we got into these countries and gave them discipleship tools it just went nuts like these movements started and they ended up planting churches. And again, it just reiterates what we've been talking about. That um, Mm -hmm. Here's this organization, they're like a hundred and something years old, but when the discipleship stuff took off, planting followed. And I think that it's it's the needle and thread, right? We're trying to push the thread in church planting, you know, Mm -hmm. and have the needle come along with it afterwards. And that's not how needle and threads, you know, good luck poking a thread through a piece of fabric and trailing a needle behind it. Mm -hmm. But uh, mission and discipleship, these things are the things that, that that actually. I'm just seeing it on the ground. because the the whole premise of it was the overlap between the scripture, you know, what you see, and that there's the science and art. So, like you said, it's not prescriptive because the the, the where scripture, you know, the biblical model that you see there, um, or the example is a better way, not a biblical model. Like you got to follow this, but the biblical example. Um, then, best global missionary practices today, things that missionaries are still doing to advance the kingdom that's bearing great fruit, and, I, and I'm not a pragmatist, but then it, where those two overlap, if that's the case, something that was a biblical model but still works today and in most of the world, then obviously... Any time the Spirit of God was advancing the kingdom, missional movements, spirit spirit movements, discipleship movements, surely you would see these same principles reappearing mm-hmm. in church history. And so the the three circles overlapping were right that is a church plantology principle. That's something that is the science that the Holy Spirit kind of like how uh, Alan has uh, 5Q that this is just hardwired into the universe. That's the science that the Holy Spirit has laid down, the architect mm-hmm. for Paul to say, I'm the wise and master builder. That's what he put there. But the beautiful thing is, we don't have a single example in the book of Acts or even the New Testament what a church you know, service. We got some elements, you know, they ate together, they 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 prophesied, they prayed, they 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 taught. We but we're not told what it looks like. And I just feel like with mission, every time Paul does it, it's different in every city. Mm-hmm. He's got these principles. But the art of it, the science and art of planting churches, the art of it is how you apply these principles. Yeah, and I love the fact that the Holy Spirit still gives us that freedom. So I don't want to be descriptive because I don't think God were prescriptive. I think God was not prescriptive, where He's like, "I want you to have these." I would have never known to plant uh, off a discussion group and damn round Da Vinci Code in a Starbucks. You know, if somebody gave me that model, uh, it would yeah. have failed. But you we know. we we failed forward into this kind of nonsense you
0: know as we're we're closing it strikes me that da vinci code was actually really important because as i read your book i discovered it was written with a cipher and if you decode church plantology there's actually (laughs) a map to the back there's a map to the entrance of the bad cave dang you rob it, rob Hey, I mean, you get Batgirl secret that.
2: decoder ring in the mail if you can crack the code in Church Plantology using yeah, yeah. that cipher. So well spotted, Rob. Your ring is on the way, my friend.
1: <laughs> Doggone it, Rob. I was working on that, and you had to blow it, bro. <laughs>
2: hey,
1: listen. Here's what we're gonna have to do. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to get back together. And do this again. And uh, there's just a lot to talk about. So it's I, been I think fun. Just, yeah, listen. We, we we'll, we'll definitely have Peyton as a recurring guest and, and, and just, you know, there's going to be a lot for us to talk about, but uh, Peyton, thanks for being with us, brother. We so appreciate you. Um, you know, other obviously than going to all the main websites, Amazon to five church plantology, where else can uh, our listeners connect with you?
2: Yeah. Uh, ministry Uh Cause I'm a nerd. So I'm a, you know, I'm like call it <laughs> ministry ninja. So uh, yeah, ninja.com and also newbreednetwork.org. That's where I train.
1: Very good. Very good. Well, hey, Peyton, thanks for being with us. And, and listeners, we appreciate you guys. Uh, and we, we ask you just to uh, like, tag, share, follow yes. uh, the Starfish mm-hmm. in the Church podcast. Please spread, spread the word about it. I mean, we're we're not getting paid to do this. We don't have a, we, I, I could sit here and say, we don't have a big sponsor. We don't have any sponsor. So, <laughs> you know, this is, it's about the kingdom, you know, and it's about just getting world changing ideas out there. Jesus, Jesus, the ideas and, uh, out there. And now next week uh, it's Memorial uh, day week. And so we will not have a podcast next week, but we will be back the following week. Uh, once again, please join us for, The starfish and the spirit. And thanks to our guest today, Peyton Jones.